Welcome back to Fresh New Shorts, original short stories from award-winning writers. Where Things Rise Unannounced is by Erin McNair. Erin McNair is a published non-fiction and fiction short story writer. Her work has appeared in The Walrus, Room Magazine, Event, and other journals and anthologies. She has an upcoming speculative fiction piece in the spring issue of Prairie Fire. She's currently working on a book of fictional short stories and a novel, and infrequently pens a blog, Views from the Obtuse Angle. Visit her website at www.erinmcnair.com for more of her work. Where Things Rise Unannounced won Event Magazine's 2018 Creative Nonfiction Contest and was also longlisted for the 2018 CBC Nonfiction Contest. Event Magazine Contest judge Lori Ann Wilson said, McNair is acutely aware what's on the surface is always unwritten by the past, the unknown, and the unseen. The various themes of mental illness, eco-anxiety, and parental guilt are woven into this story of struggle and acceptance. Where Things Rise Unannounced January 1979. I am a whale. I sing from the cold depths of the Pacific Ocean. My brothers and sisters call back to me in undulating and resonant tones. I answer them with a low moan. We sing about the places we have been, the friends we have made, all we have seen with our colossal humpback eyes, large as dinner plates. My song is unceremoniously severed as the lights flick on. Dad plucks the needle from the slip of plastic, scratching it, not using the auto arm function on the record player. I'm back in the living room, my head inches away from the speaker as I lie on the floor, half underneath the coffee table. I peer out of the zigzag patterned afghan, out of the breathing blowhole. Dad looks down on me, pale blue eyes mirroring my own. They're brighter than usual, like a flashlight has been turned on inside his head. This is the eighth time you've listened to this today. Can you go outside and play with your brother? My brother comes in the front door, stomping his boots, sending chunks of frozen snow skittering across the linoleum. He slams the door, letting in a cloud of cold. It's freezing out there, he says, ripping off his many layers. He looks my way. What is she doing on the floor? Dad lets out a heavy sigh. He pulls down my cocoon and releases my head. His face has a baggy quality to it like a paper sack that has been used and reused and is near its last. He's forgotten to shave again, or hasn't bothered, some of the hair coming in thicker patches near his jawline. Time to do something else, he says. I don't protest. This is one of those weeks when he slouches around the house, not speaking to anyone. This behavior usually comes before the drinking, followed by staying up for days on end. Something else might happen too, something unpredictable. Rapid-fire discussions, talk of people trying to take his land away, people walking on it without permission. He will repeat his words, silently, 
mouthing the last few sentences, rechecking to see if they were the words he wanted to say. I am six, so when he disappears for stretches at a time, mom tells us he is away on business. There are no other explanations, no measured words about illness and hospitals. Not yet. I go to my room with the coveted National Geographic, the bonus floppy record issue. The glossy magazine pictures help me forget I am landlocked in Wisconsin, as far from any ocean as you can get. I am going to be an underwater explorer, an oceanographer like Jacques Cousteau. I will highlight oddities of the unseen world, bring beauty to the surface, even if it means being chomped to bits by a great white. I shudder, thrilling at the idea. When I want to play the record the next day, I can't find it. I assume my jerk brother is hiding it. He claims innocence, as do my parents, but dad doesn't look at me during the denial. I search his desk, then his sock drawer where he hides things. I find two rubber rings in a plastic package in a jar of Vaseline, but no whale music. Vancouver, 2016. I am a wife and a mother. The man I met at 22 is still around 22 years later, tolerant of an artist's sensitivities and her bouts of melancholia. We seem to have cloned ourselves, two mini versions of us. We teach them to look at the world, to learn, and we take them to the beach, a 10-minute drive, as often as we can. We watch Blue Planet on Netflix, drawn to shows about the interconnectedness of all things. They know the names of birds, plants, and sea creatures. Their favorite is the nudie branch, because it has nude in it. One afternoon, I ask my eldest if he thinks about the future. Does he want to grow up to be a naturalist, or an architect, or even a writer like his mom? We're squatting at the tide's edge, turning over rocks, searching for crabs. He looks at me, then quickly looks away. His eyes are wells of information. There are subtle nuances in the sidelong glances of an 11-year-old. I try not to think about it, he says. I'm surprised. He thinks about everything. I look at the world and I know the future is going to be bad. He stands up and steps quickly away from me, stumbling on the rocks. I want to tell him it will be okay, but he knows about refugees, about famine and climate change. He knows that sometimes leaders who should not be elected still come to power. He sees the damage they inflict upon the world. He cries at the end of our shows when the last frame repeats the fading numbers of individual species, the inevitability of our demise. Words pile up in my head like multiple cars on an ice-slick road. This is my fault. I did this. I struggle to find consolation, but nothing comes. We take a vacation and find ourselves snorkeling the turquoise waters of Hawaii at Captain Cook's monument. My husband and I glide over a fan of coral. The kids have gone back to the boat, devoid of the body fat that sustains an extended voyage. A pufferfish gazes at us, unconcerned. To our left are needlefish flashing sleek stick bodies in horizontal sliver dashes. To our right is a steep drop-off, a ridge plunging into black nothingness. 
We only have a few moments before you must head back to the boat, ripping ourselves from this technicolor world. Then, I hear it. Followed by a series of clicks and whistles. I grip my husband's hand, motion for him to surface. Humpbacks, I spit out. He nods. He's heard it too. I scan the horizon for shining humps, but see only waves endlessly scattering in all directions. We go back under, and I kick my finned feet quickly towards a drop-off. I feel a hand on my arm, then turn to see his plastic mask shake side to side, eyes wide. That is where sharks will be. That is where things rise, unannounced. The bell on the boat rings, summoning us back. I stare into the dark, willing a giant eye to peer out. I kick my fins and swim back at the last possible moment, committing the haunting philharmonic to memory. Later, while we pack, I nick a glossy magazine from our hotel room, one that highlights the myths and legends of the humpback. Hawaiians believe their oral history is just like the whales. Stories told and retold since time began. Both have been singing as long as there has been singing. At home, I delve into the story that's been vying for my attention. Surrounded by scraps of research, I pull out the glossy magazine. In one picture, a mother has her fin placed over the top of her calf, as if steering it, protecting it. Like I'd take my daughter's hand if we were crossing the street. I begin hesitantly tapping at the keys in my computer. The whale skims the surface of the water, one eye to the stars. It navigates the vast seas, expertly processing blips of light, slipping between the glassy sheen of the surface and the night air. I feel the story more than I know how it ends. Words feel awkward and clumsy. If I was a sculptor, I could give it the proper grace and heft. I try anyway, keyboard pattering under tentative jabs. The whale character is kind, loving. He has an injury leaving him with one eye. He is a soothsayer. That, or he's mentally ill. The reader won't be sure. He is an unreliable narrator. My father enters the story without me noticing. His visions of the future, his kind gestures, his wrinkles around the eyes, his paranoid delusions. I now believe he was on to something. The world is out to get us. I decided to dig further into what I don't know, the knowledge I abandoned along the way. I didn't ride on a green peace boat or throw myself in front of any harpoons. I haven't dedicated myself to science or become a French-speaking oceanographer. For a while, I dedicated myself to alcohol and sex. I got lost in relationships. I dabbled in the arts, had some jobs, worked in the community, became an entrepreneur. Through it all, I'd enlisted the help of a few therapists when I had the money, none of whom had all the answers. Would my kids be bipolar like my father? They were odds, ones we selfishly weighed when we decided to have kids. Would I always suffer from depression? No one could say for sure. Was there something I could have done to keep my father from his violent end? No, I know this, but ask anyways. I often think of his final moments, pieced together from a police report. 
I have a reoccurring dream, a slow motion montage in which his teeth scatter along the concrete garage floor or embed themselves in the drywall. I have no idea why, except his teeth always gave him trouble. I scour the internet for pictures, myths, encounters, anything to lead the way and stumble across photos of whales washing up in huge numbers on beaches around the world. I find government-approved sonic testing, which blows out a whale's eardrums. Deaf and intense pain, they lose their way, lose their will. Oil spills bloom, fins are lopped off by poachers, ribs the size of tree trunks are ground into powders for elixirs and bombs. Narwhals are relieved of their only tooth and sink into the deep arctic waters, unbalanced, shorn. I listen to podcast stories of whales capsizing ships on purpose. I side with the whales. I'd known some of it, but pushed the information to the outside of my thoughts. Little dead moon satellites orbiting my head, casting shadows, but never affecting the pull and sway of my life. The overwhelming weight of the evidence is immediate, a kick to the chest. I let out a barking sob, followed by a moaning coo as if forcing out black smoke from the inner edges of my lungs. I had forgotten I was capable of such unbidden sounds. I hadn't heard them since I'd lost my father. I howl at the computer. Did I think a story about a whale would make any fucking difference? My son's words come back to me, unfurling, winding themselves around my insides with a dull heat. I made a mistake. I should not have brought anyone into this world. The day after the tear storm, I am driving, listening to CBC. Today's discussion is eco-anxiety. I laugh at yet another name for anxiousness, but choke up again. A woman describes her trials and tribulations, how she is overcome with emotion because her recycling is not enough, how the world at large feels like a looming bomb ready to detonate, how she feels like a crazy person telling anyone this, how she can't sleep. I pull over to cry again. Later, I look her up, send her an email. It doesn't say much, but it does say thank you. I go back to writing my story. The small package arrives in the mail, wrapped in a homemade cardboard sleeve, my eBay birthday present to myself. I pull it out and inspect the square slip, the first floppy record of its kind. I hold it in two hands like an offering, placing it gently on the record player, blowing dust out from underneath the cover. Two sets of blue eyes blink up at me from under the puffy lip of the duvet, waiting for me to climb into the fuzzy underworld. They giggle. Put it on already, they yell, bursting into laughter. Why do we have to listen to it in the dark, my daughter asks. I don't answer. I set the player to 33 and a half and flick off the lights. The needle descends onto the thin plastic sheath. A slight pop and hiss emit from the speaker. It's been 37 years. We submerge and enter the darkness together. This is one of the many stories available from Fresh New Shorts. We hope you enjoy them all. Rate us and let us know your comments on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
You can learn more about this story's author, Aaron McNair, at www.aaronmcnair.com. Please come back and listen to us again.